Hi. Hey, it is an honor to be with you guys uh, this afternoon, this evening, and um, I'm going to keep it short. And I warn you in advance, you, uh, you, may, you may cry, but you'll definitely laugh, if that's okay. Are you a church that likes to laugh? Yeah? Oh, that girl right there seems to love to laugh. Okay, so um, let's, just, let's just dive right into it. Father, we love you, and we pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts and change our lives. Amen. Amen. Okay, I want to get started with something that, um, just some theology, and then I'm going to tell you some missionary stories, and then we're all going to have a chance to get involved in this. So let's start with, uh, with some theology, and I'm going to make it as clear and as plain as I possibly can using chairs. And I don't know if any of you have ever seen this illustration. It's actually quite orthodox, Russian orthodox. Uh, this is what we're doing for the live stream, right? Hello, everyone watching via the internet. Okay, so basically, um, I'm an evangelist, uh, church planter, missionary, whatever, you know, lots of different labels. Uh, and I've noticed that around the world, and here in America, it's no different. There are many different ways to present the gospel. In fact, there's even a couple different gospels. There's ways that when we read the Bible, when we open up the Bible, there's more than one way to read it. There's even more than one way to present Jesus to people, to present the salvation plan. And so I'm going to present to you the modern evangelical plan that I have believed and that most of us in this room have believed at one point or another, and perhaps many of us still do. And then I'm going to unveil, I'm going to reveal what I believe is, it's definitely a more ancient explanation of the scriptures of the gospel. It's something that is more patristic and that it is um, more orthodox in the early church fathers, early church mothers, and what they believed the message of salvation was. And I believe, I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm not telling you how to believe. I'm simply presenting you with information so that you can make up your own mind. And I believe that in this, we'll have such a clearer picture of Jesus, which is what it's all about. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's get started. Let's get started here. All right, so uh, can I have, does somebody have like a jacket? What is this? Is this a jacket? That's uh, a jacket. All right. So this jacket with no body represents, I guess let's say it represents a robe. This is God. This is the God chair. This is God. And this is humanity. Okay, and uh, let's just go through the evangelical gospel, all right? So this is, this is God. In the beginning... God created man. And it wasn't too much time before man turned his back on God. Before they were in perfect communion, perfect fellowship in the Garden of Eden. We all know the story. Adam and Eve turned their back on God. And we say that because God is so holy, because God cannot, God is so holy, he cannot look upon sin. So God turned away. He couldn't look upon them. And so mankind, for centuries, tried to find ways to come back to God, trying to get his attention through good works, through our own righteousness, knowing that never, we know that that could never get God's attention, that could never turn him around, it could never make us one with him again, it could never restore that fellowship until, until Jesus came down. Oh, these are heavy chairs. That's okay. That's no good chairs. So Jesus comes down. Mankind 
has his back on God. Jesus comes and comes to, sorry, sorry, I am so jet lagged. I was in, uh, I, I took about, it took about 33 hours for me to get home the night before last. So it, just have to pardon that a little bit. So, so Jesus comes and uh, we, turn his, we turn our back on him, but then God, okay, so here's, sorry. It's all right. It's all right. I, um, it's also a fun to, to preach in English without a translator. I've been preaching with translators for so long that I'm used to giving them time to, you know, to do the little translation dance. And so now there's just so many thoughts, I don't have time to, coll to, to collect my thoughts between phrases. So it'll just take me about five minutes, I'll get it together, and then we'll flow like a river, all right? Okay, so, so here's Jesus. Jesus comes, turns to, to, to me, and, but God, and uh, what, how, what is the gospel? I know what the gospel is. So we say that, that man, what we have to do is that uh, while, while God God's, can't look at us, Jesus made a way for us. If we come to him and we say, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and we repent of our sin. That somehow, like, uh, it gets God's attention. He listens. He hears. Like, that's the magic word. It's the name of Jesus. We pray the sinner's prayer, and, and that's the secret key that, that gets to the heart of God. And he turns around and he says, oh, now I can hear you. Now I can see you. We ask him to wash us in his blood. He washes us clean. He makes us right with him. Now we're in fellowship. It's Sunday, 6.15. We pray that prayer, and it's so good. It's so wonderful. We're communing with him, and, and we're worshiping, and we're praying. It's so wonderful. Yes, this is why. And then suddenly, it's Sunday night. We get in an argument with our husband or our wife, and oh, no. Shoot. And we turn our back on God. God's so holy. He can't really look at it. So he's a little bit ticked off. You know, his heart's broken. Uh, but he's just waiting for us. And so what do we do? We can either run, 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 run. Or we can turn around and come back like this, usually like this. You know. <laughs> okay, God. I don't know if you can see this. The jet lag just went away. Thanks for praying, prayer warriors. And so we come back to him, and he says, oh, okay, thank you. I, a humble and contrite heart. Yes, yes, I, I forgive you. We are, now, we are now in communion again. It's bedtime. We're not letting the sun go down on our wrath and our anger. Ah, and then Monday morning, ah, we're in fellowship with the Lord. And then we're on the way out the door. Something happens, and oh man, shoot, darn it! What was it? Somebody said something. You thought something. You saw something. You know it was sin. It was wrong. Oh man! And so, because God's so holy, He can't look upon sin, and he, and and so here comes this whole process all over again, and it is exhausting. Yes. And so what do we do? So many of us, when we believe that God is positioned, to, positioned like this, it's not comfortable feeling like, oh, I have to confess, I have to, I have to, I have to uh, gain God's favor again through the, the certain right. Of, uh, we're thinking of, what is it? Is it the right prayer? And, and while we're thinking about this, worried about this, we're actually drifting more, committing more sin, you know, going farther and farther away, thinking Sunday's coming. Oh my gosh, I got to get it all out of my system. Or do I or not? I don't know what I'm going to do. And so finally, it's Saturday. 
And we're thinking, okay, church is tomorrow. Uh, and we're looking, we're looking. Okay, okay, it's Saturday. All right, geez, I'm going to do it. You know what? I'm not going to eat today. I'm going to fast to try to, you know, make it right. So we fast. And, and, and maybe we really, really, really blew it. You know those times where you really, really, really sin, you really blow it, and it's like, oh God, how could you ever love a wretch like me? I'm sorry, I trampled you underfoot again. Is there any blood left for me? I think I've, I've run the river dry, and we're coming back, and we're fasting, and we're, we're doing everything we know to do. We've got the worship music cranked up so loud. And, and, you know, and the, the TV's off and, and we know I'm going to watch Christian TV. No, I'm not going to watch Christian TV. And, and we're, we got to give it a chance, right? You got to give it at least like, you know, three, four seconds at least just to see. I mean, one day, one day. Oh, good Lord. And so we're coming back, Lord, please, just one more time, Jesus, if you would just one more time, just forgive me and cleanse me. And, and oh, my Lord God, Jesus, my almighty Father, if you would just, oh, thank you, Lord. I'll get baptized again, whatever, whatever you want me to do. I'll get baptized. I'll do it, Jesus. What do you want? I'll be a missionary. And this is, so, this is like, this is how I used to live and believe as a missionary. I, like, what more can I give, God? I don't know. I'm not married. I've left my family. I don't have a penny in the bank. Uh, but if you, it's like after you, you, eat, you eat like Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I love it, and, you just, and you're just so sick, and you're dealing with God to, to like just fix it. I'll never eat that greasy stuff again. Just heal me. Oh. And then, and, and then like, like, like 45 minutes later, you're like, I wonder if there's any more chicken in that bucket in the fridge. You know what I'm talking about? So, so this, is, this is the modern evangelical gospel, basically. I know it's not what all of us believe, but this is the way that I believed for so, so, so long. Okay, now, now I want to present to you the more orthodox belief of salvation. It's, and it goes like this. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve turned their back on God through sin. And God, because he is holy, oh, this is going to be interesting here because this is, all right. And God, because he is holy, instead of turning his back on sinful creation, God chases Adam and Eve and confronts them and comes to them and meets them where they are. Before they repent, before they say sorry, before they get on their knees and, and pray whatever prayer, the Lord confronts them in the garden. He says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And he clothes them and he covers their sin. And then when we move to the time of, to the time of Jesus, we see God comes down and and walks among us. And here's sinful humanity. And here is the tax collector, Zacchaeus. He's a Jew, but he's a collaborator with the Romans, with the occupying forces. He's an outcast, no friends. He's a thief. And what does Jesus, what does God do? God sees this collaborator with the enemy this outcast, this man who, who is so, so, so lonely, 
And instead of turning his back, he sees him in the crowd. And he comes to him and he points at him and he says, Zacchaeus, you, I'm coming to your house. Let's eat together. Salvation has come. Before Zacchaeus said sorry, before he repented, before he prayed a prayer or turned from his ways, God confronted him with his love and met his need right where he was. Here is, here's the woman caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act, according to the Bible, according to the Old Testament. I don't know if we're supposed to call it the Old Testament in a place like this. The Torah or books of Moses. I'm so sorry. I don't know. <sighs> Forgive me. If I could say I'm sorry in Hebrew, I would. I did just discover that, um, that I'm actually ethnically Jewish. So uh, we did this family tree thing and all the women back to Germany and before. So, so I am a Jew. So yes, thank you. <laughs> So that means I can say whatever I want, right? <laughs> in this place. Hallelujah. Okay, so here's a woman. She's caught in the act of adultery. And, there, and, and I love this story because this is so relevant. This is so relevant. She's caught in the act. Where were the men that she was caught in the act? Of, the man, where was the man that was caught in the act with her? For some reason, the religious people, the Pharisees, felt the need. It's always easier to pick on the weaker one. It's always easier to stigmatize the woman. For some reason, men are, you know, given somewhat of a free pass. And, and here she is, and according to the Old Testament, they could legally take her and stone her, and they should have done that. And, but Jesus, but Jesus, he comes and instead of saying, yes, 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 we have to, we have to obey the, we've got to obey this, this it, is, it is written. He comes and he stands between the accusers and the accused and he confronts her. But before he confronts her, he confronts them. And he gets down on the ground and he begins to write with his finger. And people wonder, what did Jesus write? And most biblical scholars that have really studied this through believe that Jesus was writing in the dirt the names of the women that the Pharisees were committing adultery with. Because what did he say to them then? He says, now those of you without sin cast the first stone. But even Jesus, when confronting the Pharisees with their hypocrisy, when confronting them with their murderous spirit, after he had written that in the dirt, the Bible is clear. It says that Jesus took his hand and he erased it. So before the Pharisees could say sorry, before the Pharisees could repent, Jesus is symbolically washing their sin away. And then he turns to the woman and he says, now where have your accusers gone? Because they left. She says, they're gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. Before she said sorry, before she repented, before she said the right prayer or turned from her sins. And then after he had demonstrated his kindness and met her greatest need, then he said, now go and sin no more. Salvation is not a license to sin. It's the freedom to escape it. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen? And so here is humanity. When they had enough of this radical Jesus, this radical God of love and mercy and forgiveness, when humanity had enough and the Pharisees conspired with the, with the Sanhedrin and with the, the, the occupying forces, the Romans, and they took Jesus and they did the most... The the most ultimate 
sin against God that you can possibly do. And they arrest him. And they beat him. And they whip him. They strip him. And they crucify him. As, the, as humanity is in the act of killing God, what does God do? He comes to them. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This, I believe, is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what changes hearts. It's what changes communities. It's what changes nations. It's what changes kingdoms. It's absolutely different than the mentality and the philosophy of this world. You know, we're in America, we're in Texas, we love our guns, and, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I have quite a few myself. We love talking about the vengeance of God, and there's a lot of different beliefs of what Jesus is going to be like when he comes back. My personal belief is that when Jesus comes back, he's going to be the same as he was when he was here the first time. You know, that uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. If we want to know what the Father is like, we look at the Son. Jesus said that he only did what he saw the Father doing. Jesus said that he only said what he heard the Father saying. The Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, right? And so because of that, if we want to know what the Father is like, if we want to know what God the Father is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. And God has always been like Jesus. God always will be like Jesus. We haven't known that God was always like Jesus, but now we do. So God has always been like Jesus. When Jesus returns, we think he's going to come. He's going to come back with vengeance and he's going to slay his enemies. And, but what if, what if God's idea of vengeance is absolutely different than ours? What if God's idea of justice is absolutely different than ours? What if we don't get what we deserve? What if, what if that's why the Bible says Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Why? That's why God says, don't you worry about inflicting your version of justice and vengeance. Let me do it because his is so much better. We gave him, we, we whipped him, we beat him, we gave him stripes. And what did he give us? Healing. We took him and we held him down and we crucified him and we murdered the son of God. And what did he give us? We gave him death and he gives us life. How backwards is this? How different is this? How good is this? How amazing is this? If we could take our idea of the perfect God, the perfect concept of the perfect God and write down everything, if God was exact, it would turn out to be exactly who Jesus is. And every time we think that we have God pegged and God totally figured out, he comes and he reveals himself to be even better than we ever thought, asked or imagined. He is so, 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 so good. And this idea of us turning our back on him or a people turning their back on him and him looking away and not being able to hear or bless or come to touch. Look at Jesus. Jesus never, Jesus never looked at the sinner and said, I can't touch the sinner. I can't touch the leper because they're unclean. I can't wait. I have to wait till they pray. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees wouldn't touch the sinners. The Pharisees wouldn't touch the unclean. 
And somehow we formed a theology all around that to, that almost mimics that of the Pharisees, that we have to wait until you say this prayer and do that prayer, until you're accepted and you're beloved and you belong. When Jesus was all about accepting, you know, loving, and having people belong, and then out of that goodness, out of that grace, out of that mercy, the repentance automatically happened. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. And so when we look at this model where we're far away, and God, no matter how far away we get, he runs and he, he chases us down and he confronts us. How far away were you when he found you? Thank goodness, it, thank goodness he did. And so for the last, I've been preaching for, well, since I was 14, so a long time. That's too much math for me. Uh, I, I've been a missionary for 20 years now. And, um, and I, used to, I, used, I used to be so complicated for me. It used to be so difficult until I realized that however far people were from God, that I didn't have to wait for them to say a prayer or to do something the right way. But I would chase them down, like this song, I would chase them down and I would find them and I would meet their needs, whether it was food or friendship, time, attention, whatever it was, and I would confront them with it. And that's when we begin to see people repenting by the dozens and by the hundreds. I want to show you a few pictures. This is in Holland. This is, um, I don't know, about 15 years ago. You know, Holland was a, is a country, you know, everything's legal, prostitution, euthanasia. You can kill babies up to two or three years old if they're sick. Um, just anything goes. What, an, what, what a social experiment. So many things that some things they've done that they've done right, but so many things that have corrupted the culture. And we had people come by the dozens and by the hundreds to hear us preach this Jesus. See the next picture. Oh boy, I forgot I put that one in there. Oh my gosh. Okay, next. And, and, and they would come, these, these Dutch people, they would come to us under the cover of darkness at night sometimes. And they would say, we hear, we hear that, that you baptize people and God has been working on our hearts. We, we heard you speak at our school, at our college. You spoke to us in, uh, in the square last weekend and, and, and we want you to baptize us. And so we would have spontaneous baptism. We did it in kiddie pools. We'd, guys like this, so tall and long, we'd have to do it in halves. So we'd baptize the bottom half first and then the top half. Yep, yep. And, um, and, and then we would go to the capital, to Amsterdam, and we'd just have crowds of hundreds gather, and we, we would share the love of Jesus, and it was amazing. We'd go into the red light district where, there's, where there were uh, 30,000 legal prostitutes and, and thousands and thousands more illegal people, young women that were being used 30 to 50 times a day. And our, the girls on our team would go and give them roses and a handwritten letter and, and some cookies and let them know if they want out, we'll help them get out. And the guys on our team would go to the men. We would go to the men that were going in to, to, to solicit uh, the, 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 the lady, the prostitute, and, um, and, and we found that they wouldn't listen to us before they went in because they had one thing on their mind, but boy, afterwards, when they realized that sin doesn't really satisfy, that it's just, it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be, they would listen to us and they would cry and cry and, and so many give their hearts to Jesus. Next. And then, uh, and then I heard about a country called Moldova. 
And we went from Holland all the way over to Ukraine. I was working in Ukraine. We were working with orphans there. And, and somebody said, you had to go check out Moldova. And so, and so I did. And Moldova is an extremely, extremely poor country. They have, um, they're the poorest country in Europe. About 20 years ago, they had 4 million people. Now they're down to about 2.5 million because um, at least 800,000 have been trafficked, probably double that. Trafficked for sex, trafficked for, for labor. They'll, go, they'll take the men into Russia and they'll make them work the fields. They'll take the men into places like Dubai and, and other places. They'll con help construct the big buildings. They'll, we had one guy, one friend of mine, he went to Russia to, to find work, uh, worked in a field for a whole summer. And in one summer, he was so malnourished, he came back. He wanted to go jogging with us. He broke his legs while we were jogging because he was so malnourished. The young ladies there... Young couples will go, and it's, it's very, very common to see the couples as they're, they're walking hand in hand, and she'll be pregnant. They'll be walking into an orphanage because they're so poor, they're looking to shop for an orphanage to drop off their baby once they're born. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of orphans, social orphans, and, and, and most of them are a result not of parental death, but parental abandonment. The average salary in Moldova is, if, if you are a professional, is $200 a month, but most people are not professionals. So uh, you move outside of the capital city into the villages, and it's a dollar a day. That's what people are earning is a dollar a day, which makes them as poor as any African nation. And, and it's strange because... You don't expect that in Europe. You don't expect to see that type of poverty. People starving to death, freezing to death. We, um, the orphan situation is it's, it's out of control. I had a house across the street from an orphanage. That my, my apartment was up above the wall of the orphanage. It was surrounded by a wall. And uh, we would volunteer over there quite often. And... When you would walk into this orphanage, the first room has a dozen or more, sometimes way more than that, babies, and they're all crying. And we go, we take diapers, and you know, we change their diapers. We, we, uh, they're swaddled, the babies are swaddled so tight, so we unwrap them, and instinctively, their arms shoot up because they're only held when they're changed. They're not even held when they're fed. That's the only time they get skin-to-skin -skin contact is when they're changed. And we know now that babies have to have pure skin-to-skin -skin contact in order to learn how to give and receive pure love, how, for them to emotionally develop and intellectually develop. And so these kids, when they're unswaddled, their arms shoot up, and, and all they want to do is to be just, to, just to be held, just to have that, that contact. And, and I was changing a baby's diaper, and I, I put on a new diaper, and just as I was doing that, he starts to go, he starts to, to make it wet again, and so I threw that away, and I got, and the director of the orphanage, he came and said, no, 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 one diaper at a time, one diaper per day. So we had to get that wet diaper out and put it back on the baby. And the babies learn that in time, their cries don't get them held or touched or fed or changed. And when they realize that, something interesting happens. They stop crying, and that's when they get put into the next room. And if you think one room with, with 20 babies crying at the same time is awful, try going into a room with, with 30 babies, 50 babies, and it's dead silent. They just lay there. Their growth stunted waiting for someone or something. And, and because of that, they, some of them are, are two years old, three years old before they learn to walk. Some of them don't start speaking until they're three or four or five years old. We, tr we try to play with them, play games with them. It's, it, it's almost impossible to get them to even to laugh. 
And so we would bring over teams from around the world, from Holland and, and Italy, Canada, the United States, just to do the ministry of holding babies, which is such an important... People say, I don't know what I could do on the mission field. I don't know how I can serve the Lord. Well, if you can hold a baby, you can, you can serve the Lord. You can, you can change a life. And so they would hold the kids, and then we would you know, play with the older kids and play soccer and, and, and football and, and do crafts and arts and, and all these different things and teach them a little bit of English and teach them some songs and begin to share the gospel with them. Tell them about Jesus and how he loves us and, and how he can save us and how he has a plan for their lives. And, and, and we would make these little salvation bracelets. I don't know, have you ever seen those, the salvation bracelets? The, the different colors, and this color represents that, and that, and that, and that, so they can remember it forever, that Jesus saves them. And, and, and the best part of all, at some point, you know, so many of the kids, they would say, okay, they're, they're 14 or 15, they pray the prayer, and they, and they get saved. And, and the team goes back to the States, and they're so happy on the airplane, it was worth it, we spent thousands of dollars, and all those kids got saved. And it's good, and it is good, it's wonderful. And I used to think when this first, I watched a class grow up, grow up, grow up until they were 15, they're 16. When an orphan turns 16 in Moldova, they, they age out. Also, not just Moldova, but Ukraine, Belarus, Russia, Romania. It's, it's, it's the same through all of those countries. They turn 16, they age out of the system. They have no skills. They have no formal education. And they're marked. Their documents are branded. They're marked orphan. So people don't even want to hire them. They still have this stigma there like it was little orphan Annie time in the United States 100, maybe 120 years ago. You know, orphans are thieves. They're, they're, you know, they'll, they'll rob you. They'll steal you. They'll kill you when you're not looking. So nobody will hire an orphan. And so what happens is that sex traffickers... They work with directors of orphanages to find out. They pay them off, these people that are, that are overseeing, you know, 400, 600 kids, and they're making $150 a month. The sex traffickers will come and give them money, and they'll say, tell me when the next batch of kids are, are graduating and where they're going to go. Because when a girl turns 16, she's given $30 cash and a bus ticket to wherever she wants in the country. And normally that's to the capital city where there's hopefully opportunities. So the girls, they turn 16, they get their 30, they get their bus ticket, they wind up in Chisinau, the capital of Moldova, at the bus station, and they get out and they've never seen such a big city, they've never experienced anything like that, and they're scared, they don't know what to do. And so they're, they're walking around and they find a bench and they sit there, and the sex traffickers, they know what to look for, they, look, they, they know what they're, what they're waiting for, and they'll sit there and they'll watch the girl until the girl prays, because if the girl is religious or not, at some point, all of them find religion for a moment, and they will bow their head and they'll say, okay, God, I don't know what I'm going to do, help, send somebody, I need a job, I need a place to stay, I need money. And as soon as they see that girl bow her head and close her eyes, that's when they pull up in their nice SUV and they roll down the window and they say, hey, excuse me, um, I've, got, uh, I've got a restaurant uh, in the next city over and we just came here to Chisinau. We're looking for somebody that could serve tables and we have a lot of space upstairs. There's a bed. You can eat all, have all the food you can eat. You can sleep there. And here's $100 cash if you'd like to get started. It's a miracle. It's a miracle for the girl, she thinks. So she says, wow, yes, please, thank you. And she jumps in the SUV, they lock the door, and they drive out of town, and they go to a cabin somewhere, a secluded cabin. They'll have five or six girls that they've collected like this, and they'll have men dressed like policemen, sometimes cops, sometimes not, but they're dressed like cops, and they will come and they will rape the young girls five, six, seven times, every which way, 
until they are broken and shattered. And they'll take the girl that's the ugliest or the girl that fights back the most and they'll kill her in front of the other girls so that they're totally broken and they'll never think about escaping or leaving. And because it was cops, they'll never run to the police. And that's when they begin the process of selling them. And they'll sell the girls that cost between $600 and $1,000 the first time they sell them. They get new passports. Now they're not 16. Now they're 19 or 21 according to their new, their new ID papers. So now they're in Romania or they move them into Hungary. They're in the European Union or they take them down into Turkey and they begin to traffic them into, through the Middle East. And the, the United Nations estimates that every single year 20,000 women from Eastern Europe are trafficked into Western Europe, and an additional 20,000 are trafficked into Russia and the Middle East. That's 40,000 girls every year, every year. And they tell them, the way that they keep them is that they tell them, if, uh, if, you, if you, I paid $3,000 for you, if you work this off, you can buy your freedom. And so every time the girl, so she's motivated and she's servicing 20, 30, 40, 50 guys a day, like every 15 minutes, every 10, 15 minutes, it's another guy seven days a week. And by the time she almost pays it off, they sell her to somewhere else. Now she's in Germany. Now she's in Amsterdam. And instead of 5000 now it's 30000 that she has to pay off. They get her just enough addicted to drugs that she's dependent on them and so that she'll pretend like she likes it a little bit more. And this is the reality that we face in the world. It's not just Europe. It's everywhere. But I have spent the last... Eight years of my life combating sex trafficking. We go into these places and we find these girls and we help get them out. The, the stories that they tell, I can't even tell you from this platform. But I can tell you that there is a way of escape and there is something that we can do to, to help get them out. And, and what we are doing is uh, we're creating jobs. We're working, we've, we've helped develop a, a business incubator and a jobs hub in Moldova to help get Moldova, to help get the girls and before they even graduate before they leave the orphanage we're getting them into these places we hold skills camps and we help teach them monetizable skills so that they can be prepared to have safe jobs the moment that they leave the orphanage what we found is that it costs about $1,000 to buy a girl, to purchase a girl from a sex trafficker the first time that she's sold, but it costs about $1,000 to create a small business. To create, I mean, to, I'm sorry, it's about $1,000 to create a job in a small business. This is incredible. In the past uh, f four or five, let's see, it's 2017, we did it. In the past six years, we've created about 3,000 sustainable jobs. It's been amazing. It's been amazing. Everything from agriculture to tech. And what we've seen is that our idea of salvation has gone far from just the prayer and the bracelet. Because when that girl is chained to a radiator and, then, and, and she's 17 and another man is barreling towards her and all she has is a little basin and a washcloth in between men and she, and she looks at that bracelet... Friends, that is not salvation. That is not salvation. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus did not come just so people could pray little prayers and then if they're lucky, make it to church on Sundays. Jesus came literally to set the captives free. Jesus anointed us to literally set literal captives free. 
You know, when we read that verse, we think, well, it's the people that are addicted to bound to video games or bound to lying. Sure, maybe, sure. But it's also literally to set the literal captive free. You know, so many times we, we, we get so caught up in what's the next wave or the next level or the next realm of glory and anointing. And I'll tell you what it is and where it is. It's out there setting the captives free. You know, we pray God... So many times we get caught up in this and it's like we get obsessed with church culture and, and, and with ourselves and, and obsessed with the unknown and this supernatural. And I'm telling you that the spirit of the Lord has anointed me and you to set the captives free. We say, God, come down. And he says, I will. I did. But you've got to go out. We say, God, move. And he says, I will. If you'll just move out. Most ministry should happen outside the walls of the church building or synagogue or whatever this is. Right? We're only in here once or twice or maybe a several times a week. I don't know. But, but when we're not in here, man, that's where the action happens. That's where life happens. If you want to know, you were not made just to come to church and to do prayer sets. That's important. It's good. I love it. I do it. I, it's so much healing and, and vision and direction and, and clarity comes in those times. And, and man, it's, it's heaven on earth for a little bit. But man, there is more to life. There's, there's, there's people waiting for you. There's people tied to a radiator. There's people laying in an orphanage. There's people in this city longing for a friend that have a maybe they have a job maybe they don't but they're full of shame they're full of sorrow they're full of guilt because of what the other religious people have done because of what the other religious people have put on them and all they're waiting for they think they're so far from God and God is right there but they don't see it because they don't see you they don't see us but when we can come and we say I know you know what I know that you've You've been with so many people, but that's okay. You know what? I love you and God loves you and I accept you and God accepts you and we're going to walk through this together. Oh, so you have a substance abuse problem. You, you drink too much. You know what? We're going to get this together. I love you. I'm not going to give up on you. And that's how things change. And so we have a, a, a ministry. Um, we do mission trips. And our mission trips are absolutely different than any other organization that I've ever seen. Um, because I just got tired of doing things the way that everyone else does them. And I'm, I'm wrapping up here. I got tired of going and building houses and huts when I'm not a carpenter. And, and God bless people who can build. And that's a very important, very valid ministry. And we need to do that. And, and I also, I got tired of doing mission trips where I would go to something like an Olympic game. And, uh, and I would pass out tracks or, you know, get on the, the, the thing and Jesus loves you and the Bible says. And all the while I'm thinking, well, who's winning inside the, you know, I'm at the Super Bowl out in front of the Super Bowl, passing out tracks, just wondering well, how the game is going in there. Like, like, you know, wonder. And so I got a little bit tired of that. What is the fruit of this? That why don't we do things a little bit different? Because typically the average mission trip is invited. Let's go do some pass out tracks or give your testimony. And people think I can't give a three to five minute testimony. That's terrifying. I don't want to stand in front of a church. I don't sing. I don't preach. I don't build. So I'm not, I can't go do a mission trip. Well, we do things absolutely different because I believe that every single one of us has a superpower. The name of our ministry is Heroes International. I believe that every single one of us has a superpower. We have a gift. We all want to make a difference in this world, right? 
We all want to do something to fight sex trafficking. We all want to do something to rescue babies. We all want to do something to, to bring life to people, to bring Jesus to people. But what is it? And what I have determined, what I've discovered is that whatever your natural giftings are is a big part of your supernatural giftings. So what we do is we take your natural gifting, your proficiencies, your skills, whatever you're great at. If you're a professional in this area or if you're excellent in this hobby, if you play a sport and you're great at it, you play an instrument and you're awesome at it, you sing and you're good at it. We take, we get a whole group of people and we say, okay, here's medical professionals. Here these people are teachers. These people like to sing. And we custom craft mission trips according to the skills and the abilities of people that are coming on the trip. And, and it's just, it's, 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 we have so much success. And so when we do a trip, every single person that comes gets paired with their own personal translator. And your translator, say you're coming and you are, you know, you're, you're a nurse. And we're going to do, so we decide we're going to do, you know, there's three or four people in the medical field. So we do a medical mission with you guys. And so we go to the medical school and we find a medical student who speaks English and who wants to make some money. Okay, we find some people and then we pair them with you, preferably if they're in the same track. So while you are working on somebody's eyes or working on, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, they're translating and they're also learning. You know, you're, we're in a school and, and they're, uh, you know, uh, we're teaching, you're teaching graphic design and they're a young graphic designer. They're learning while you're teaching it to some kid. While you're imparting a skill, you're teaching how to cut hair and how to cut hair great. Here's this young, you know, cosmetology student that's learning how to cut hair like, like you learned, you know, at Iraveda Institute. And they're getting better as they're translating for you. So it's, it's a whole different concept and a different mentality. And we see so, so, so many people giving their hearts to Jesus. We also require that every person that goes on the trip maintains for six months contact with their translator so that once a month for 20 minutes, you Skype call them or FaceTime them just to encourage them and affirm them. And we, and we just see incredible, miraculous things. Uh, we have a couple pictures here. We go into, we don't just work with orphans and create jobs. This is, this is Dunya. Our, our philosophy is jobs for those who are able to work and charity for all others. I met, I met Dunya. She walked over a mile in freezing wet weather to ask me just for a piece of firewood. She said, people came, they stole my chickens so I don't have eggs. They dug up my potatoes so I don't have anything to eat. She said, I'm embarrassed. I'm wearing the only clothes I have. They're ripped up. Can you just give me one piece of firewood because I'm afraid I'm going to freeze to death tonight. And I was so moved. She is the same size as my grandmother. She looks like my grandma. She was born the same year as my grandmother. And so I told her, I was so moved. I told her that from now on, I said, you will have firewood and food for the rest of your life. And, uh, and we started a, a project where we began delivering firewood with university students from Moldova. We get into the schools in, in Moldova and we started to tell them, you know, yeah, we're doing firewood. We're giving medicine to old people and we're helping keeping. And the, and the students were like, what is this generosity? We never heard of such a thing. We want to do it too. So the students said, we, can we come? We said, sure. So the next, we had to rent two buses to take all these students into a village. We said, just bring something to give away. We thought they had nothing. I don't know where, I don't know if they stole it or what, but they came with bags. I don't care where they got it. I didn't ask questions. They came with bags of food and toys and clothes and medicine and they gave it, and the first house, they said, what do we do? How do we do this? They've, ne they, they've never been confronted with the type of, because they just leave their, they abandon the seniors there. There's no concept of respect or honor for elders. And they say, how do we do this? It's okay, watch this. So we go up to the first house and 
here's food, here's medicine, here's a huge stack of firewood, you're going to be good for the winter. And they're just crying, why are you doing this? Why have you done this? Thank you, thank you. Why are you? Well, we're doing it because we love you and you're important and God has a plan for your life and, 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 and Jesus loves you. And before we can even stop that and end with that person, the students are running over to the next house, knocking on the door, giving the, the, the food, the medicine, the stacks of firewood, and the, why are you doing this? And I'm coming, trotting along, and they're, and they're saying, okay, we'll tell you why we did because we love you, and God loves you, and Jesus has a plan for your life. And I don't even know if they're Christians yet. It's like, it's like evangelism. And they're like, it's like they're evangelizing. That's their, that's, they're evangelizing to themselves. Or it's like discipleship before they convert. I'll tell you what it is. It's this whole thing where they've got here and we come around and, and it's just all working together. It's so exciting. So, uh, so now we have, we call them visiting heroes. Every single week they go to the villages and they give firewood food to keep people from freezing to death. Um, this is Dunya. This is just last week. So that first picture that you saw was about five years ago. This is her now. She said before that she would pray every day for God to let her die. And she just told me last week, she said, I don't want to die anymore. She said, I live to see the angels, the, the, the heroes that come visit us. She said, and, and she has become the most generous woman in the whole village. We just stack her with food and everything. And so people come to her and she says, okay, you can have that and you can have that and you can have that and you can have that. She, she, when, she, she's orthodox, but she didn't really have an understanding of the concept of salvation. And, and she, said, she said, you know, my clothes are all ripped up, and now I have one other outfit in the closet, and the moths have came and put holes in it. So even when I die, I'm not going to look good. I'm not going to be pretty when I die. So we went to the store, of course, and we got her the most beautiful outfit, wrapped it in plastic, and she said, that's what I'm going to be buried in. And, but she, um, she, she said, when I die, she said, she said, if I go to heaven. I said, what do you mean, Dunya? What do you mean if you go to heaven? She said, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. I said, do you love Jesus? She said, yes. I said, I said do you think Jesus loves you? She said, I hope. I said, I said, listen, I pulled out a cross. I said, I am a priest. She was, oh, you're a priest. I said, yes, I am a priest. We're all priests. <laughs> we are. I said, I am a priest. I said, I said, let me tell you this. Your sins are forgiven. I said, your sin. And she goes, she, she was like this. She said, eh? I said, your sins are forgiven. She goes, seriously? I said, yes. You're totally, totally forgiven. And God takes great, he loves you. He's so proud of you, Dunya. He's so proud of you. And she goes, first time I ever, she goes, eh? And instead of hobbling, she was dancing in circles around her little, her little living room. Slava Bogu, thank you, God. Thank you, God. This is the ministry that we do. And I want to invite you to be part of this. We, um, I took a sabbatical for the first time about three years ago. And I, we just got back full time into this, uh, this about, a year, about a, three years ago. I took some time off. A year ago, I came back. And we had, we had so many supporters and partners, all this support coming in. And, um, and I called everyone because, honestly, I was so tired and, you know, traumatized from this work with sex trafficking survivors that I didn't know if I'd ever come back. So I called all my supporters and I said, I said hey, guys, um, I'm coming off the field. Could you please consider transitioning your support somewhere else? And I suggested a few ministries in Moldova. And you know what? Every single person transitioned their money somewhere else. So not a dollar was lost. 
and they bless those ministries. And now some of those ministries are huge and prospering and, so, and helping so many people. And we're collaborative, so we work with them. We still bless them. But I didn't feel right coming back into ministry and calling those people and saying, hey, I'm back. Can you uh, maybe bring back? I didn't feel right with that. So we are in the process of building partners, building teams. And you can get involved. You can join us. And we say you can be a hero for just a dollar a day. All it takes, if every three people that sign up with us for $30 a month, a dollar a day, uh, three people do that, that's creating one job. That creates one job. That saves a life for every three people. Or, or maybe you're here and you know, you've got a, a good job and you're in a more comfortable place. And you can say, you know what, Greg, I could do $100 a month. I'd like to partner with you. And that $100 a month in one year creates a job to save a life. Every job that we create saves a life. This is a project that we're working on right now. Uh, it's, it's called Baby Moon. You know, when pe people get married, they have a honeymoon. When you have a baby, I guess there's a baby moon. And, um, and Baby Moon, is it, it's, uh, they create these ergonomic... Have you ever seen those pouches that people have for the skin-to-skin, -skin, you know, contact with the baby? I, I see those sometimes, and the babies are like... It's like a scoliosis machine. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's like, oh my gosh, like that baby's turning into a pretzel. It's like, it's okay, they're a baby. They're, they're made like Rubbermaid. They're like a trash can that can just bounce and they pop right back out. Well, <laughs> so, so some of our friends in Moldova, we were praying for, you know, God, give us ideas for businesses. Someone had an idea for an ergonomic baby carrier that, that allows it can be worn on the back or on the front or on the side while maintaining the, um, the strength and integrity, you know, in an ergonomic, strong, neutral position of the spine for the mother and the child. This particular project, we need $56,000. We have, we have $30,000 of materials waiting to come into Moldova, but we, uh, we have more, well, it's, it's much more than that, but we have, 30, we have to pay $30,000 in uh, taxes, import taxes, to have them come in, and when we set, uh, to create more of these, I don't know, what, is the, what are those called? A sling, thank you, yes, I can't remember the English word. We're, we have the materials, They've been selling out so fast. So we made a big bulk order, but what we didn't think of is we don't have the money to pay the import tax. So we've, cre we've made hundreds of them, thousands of them. Whenever they hit the store shelves in Romania or Holland or England, they fly off the shelves. They sell so fast. And we make a ton of money at it. We've got um, 11 at-risk mothers. They're at risk of being trafficked. Some of them are actual survivors. They all have kids. It gives them full-time jobs. Um, we want to sell them in European boutiques. They're standing by waiting. All, these, all this material is just at customs. The women are waiting to, literally sitting there every day waiting for it to clear customs so that they can build it, put them together. Um, the, these women are amazing. The, lead, the leader of this group is somehow, she put this thing up online, and there are 45,000 mothers in Moldova now that are in the group that she's discipling and teaching how to be a good mother, how to hold your kid, how to feed your kid, how to pray over your child, how to teach them the scriptures. And what's happening is that while these moms are thinking that they're learning how to take care of the kids, they're learning about God themselves and they're learning about identity and who they are and, and, and you know, the difference between punishment and, and discipline and correction and, and love and unconditional love. It's so amazing. So even with this thing, this is a real example of a kingdom business. I don't know if we have any investors in here or watching by the, the YouTube, uh, but this is something that if we had $56,000 in about three years, 
not only could we, could we way more than double that, but it's going to create up to 30 jobs, 30 more jobs, and it's, uh, it's, it's an incredible investment opportunity. So we'd love to talk to you more about that. But let's all stand and ask the worship team to come forward, please. Thank you for tolerating my jet lag sermon. The brain came through. So, um, there are, uh, thank you very much. So there's three ways that you can get involved. Uh, number one is we would love to have you come visit us in Moldova. It's a beautiful country. It was the Italy of the Soviet Union, meaning it's where all their wine is made. So it's just rolling green hills with vineyards as far as the eye can see. I'm personally, I'm not, I'm not a drinker, but if you like the wine, Moldova's a place to go. Uh, the food is delicious, it's organic, the soil is six feet deep. Hitler actually made train tracks, uh, railroad tracks down into Moldova to harvest the dirt. It's such a, such a beautiful, rich country. The people are phenomenal. We hear about the sex traffickers, it's not, it's not even a, an, an issue for, for Americans. They don't want to mess with Americans. But I'd love to have you come. I'd love to learn what your skills are and find out what you're good at and put you to work holding babies, playing with kids, teaching your skills to people. So let's talk about that, okay? Stay in touch with, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Tracy, TJ, uh, the Eckerds, they all have my information. My name is Greg Montella, G-R-E-G-G -G Montella. Facebook, Instagram, Bumble, find me on all three of those. Yes. Yeah, some of you know what that is. It's a dating app. Yeah. So number two, number two, um, please get on our mailing list. You can find us online at heroesinternational.org. Uh, if you'd like to donate, there's a couple of ways you can do that too. You can get on your phone right now. You can go to heroesinternational.org and you can go to our giving page and it's, it, we're working with it. It's a little bit stubborn. So you just got to follow it through or do it on a, on a laptop. Or right now, if you'd like, um, we're going to receive an offering. And I can tell you 100% of every penny that you give is going to go straight to helping women like Dunya and straight to creating jobs like this. We are passionate about doing this, and we've been doing it. 3,000 jobs in a few years, that's, that's no small thing, and, and we're just getting started. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that... Um, no matter how far or how fast we run from you, we can't. We can't run from you. Thank you for chasing us down. Thank you for breaking down the lies that, that cause us to believe that you were mad or you were angry or you were far from us. Thank you for saving us, God. Father, I thank you that you have saved us from our sin. You've saved us out of lifestyle of darkness. And you saved us to a lifestyle of light and good works. And I just pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that just as I feel the spirit of camaraderie, that we are family in here today, God, I pray that you would move upon hearts to join our team to be heroes with us, God. 
Father, I pray that you would bless those that are about to give and bless those that aren't able to give. In Jesus' name.